recording. I'm going to do my monitor real quick. Yeah, it's not that bad. Everybody, I'm so sorry. I'm still very fussy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go get a box <laughs> and be professional again. Oh, it's 444, my angel number. <laughs> oh, and I'm wearing my um, Elliot and Olivia sweatshirt. So this is episode two of season two. It's um, it's strong subject matter, but they do. But I don't know. It still was funny at points. At times, not on purpose. Maybe no. no. Well, sh- shall we get into it? I guess. <laughs> so, like Paige said, season two, episode two, honor. Uh, original air date October twenty seventh, two thousand, and directed by Alan Metzger. Opening scene, we're in Central Park. Again. Yeah, here we are again. Uh, A woman has been found, and she's been raped and stabbed, and her genitals are bleeding. She's still alive, so that's good. That's something different. I know. I was was like, oh, great. We're back in Central Park for another beaten and raped person. Fantastic. Yeah. I was like, oh, but this one's alive, so that's nice. Benson and Stabler seem to believe, oh, well, there's a cop. The cop leading them over was a cop on a horse. So he found her. He's kind of got like a weird velvety voice this whole time. Not like the paramedic who's like, let's get her out of here. I wrote that. I'm like, let's get out of here. (laughs) Benson and Stabler seem to think that it was like group or pack violence, wolf pack violence, because they keep saying it was potentially wilding. (laughs) They keep going, I am so sick of this wilding. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I do think in a later scene they mention something that is going to provide a slight context clue, but I will mention that when we get there. So they're very insistent upon They have no evidence to support why they believe this, by the way, outside of the fact that it's in Central Park where a very famous wilding. Yes. It's got to be packs of teens. It must be. No, uh, this episode, they are going to come up with, con- with conclusions and stick to them until they are forced to go in another direction this is not an open mind episode where they're like what could have happened they're like it was probably this so should we pursue this even if it doesn't make sense okay let's do that so the victim i've got to mention was also stoned post stabbing she was stoned um they found some rocks with blood on it uh them rocks with blood on them i don't know why benson and stabler equated they're like you know those new york city Teens are very well known for stoning and wilding, people. Yes, and wilding. Yeah. So yeah, the um, they get her out of there. This one guy literally says, "Let's get her out of here." Get her out of here. And um, Benson mentions the Stabler. Yeah, she thinks it's a group attack, and Stabler agrees that wilding is back in fashion. Um, and that's the ending. So I realize we didn't about, quote them. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, because they're talking about like so. Apparently, there was a thing in the 80s where groups of teens would get together and just kind of, like, do, do fuck shit. Like, hop the turnstiles, kind of beat up random people. And then as more teens would see the groups of teens, they would join. And then it would become, like, a big – so Wilding was just, like, basically, you know, like, fucking going out. Just, just fuck shit. Fuckeries, oh, okay. if you will. Yeah. So that is, like, a real term for men – behaving really poorly yeah i think it was mostly ascribed to teenagers at the time um but yeah like that's i think wilding out you know like they kind of it's like you know i thought it was more fun like a, like the nick cannon show right well, cute. Not, cute certainly not running around assaulting women with fuckery on your mind <laughs> yeah 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> they just keep, they said it so many times, and it's just like, we get it. We fucking get it, uh, wilding. Yes. Well, dun dun, we move into the theme song, which I would like to note for the first time includes Ice T as Fentutuola, but also, I think all across season one, they did the iconic Cragen, Olivia Elliott, and Munch would walk through a door after their credits. This is the first time that the main cast is assembled in a room looking down at an important folder and then they all look up to the screen like, we're here. Like, that's pretty, like the iconic SVU opening. This is the first time. It was chilling. It gave me chills. I I was like, I got excited. I love that Alexander Cabot is with us now. I feel safe. She's so pretty. <laughs> she's so pretty and she's her. so good. Well, dun dun. We're in the squad room now and Cragen's asking for his Cragen rundown. Uh, we've got a Jane Doe. She's in her 20s, beaten, stabbed, raped, stoned, left for dead. Olivia, who rode with her in the ambulance, mentions she was mumbling something, but it was in another language that Olivia believes was either Arabic or Hebrew. Then? Finn answers the phone, is on it for maybe two seconds, and then rattles off a bunch of information. And I'm like, you were on the phone for literally less time than the sentence you just said. So did someone call you? Because what he says is he's like, it's touch and go if she'll survive. She has multiple injuries, including, I'm so sorry, bleeding from a freshly perforated hymen. Blah. But literally, he rattles off all this information, and it takes longer than he spent on the phone. So did someone call him? And they're like, yeah, she's like, she's going to make it, blah, 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 and hangs up. And he's like, yeah, here's what happened. Right. Like, good memory. You just remembered all that. I mean, I would have remembered freshly perforated hymen simply because what? what? <laughs> also, we were, like, so confused about why. Why would hymen blood be any different than other bloods? Yeah. Like, is it, like, menstrual blood? How menstrual blood is different than, like, Obviously, regular well, we're blood. We're led to believe this victim's covered in blood, and they're like, oh, but also some hymen blood. And I'm like, where'd you parse that out from? And we should also mention, she was found pantsless. When we see oh, yeah. the victim, she has, like, a cover over her, but they mention that she was found completely nude from the waist down. So, like, I'm just assuming there's blood and stuff everywhere, so I don't know how we got freshly perforate. And then Munch goes, oh, a virgin. Yeah, oh, I know. So then Cragen takes a pause. <laughs> Cragen takes a pause. And then he says to the group, you know what the chief said to me last time I talked to him? It's pucker time, folks. You know what the chief was telling me during our last conversation? It's pucker time, folks. So does that mean he, like it's time for everyone to like kiss some ass or are there? Who's puckering and where? Who's puckering? Is it like a term for like, you know, when you have to go really bad and you're like, oh, no. And you like. It's pucker time. Pucker. It's pucker time. Because <laughs> you're. <laughs> it's pucker time, folks. Like, we know he means immediate action needs to be taken. But why must it be pucker time that we take action on? Well, now that I'm thinking about it, it has been a full season of him being like, we got to we got to do this, folks. There's some people breathing down the backs of our necks. Folks, the mayor's called me. The governor's called me. The president's called me. We got to solve this one. And he's run out of things to say to demonstrate how desperately they need to solve this particular case that he just like was like, it's pucker time. 
Right? He's like, you know what? I got to get their attention somehow. So maybe if I say it's pucker time, folks, they'll stop and they'll ask me what that means. And then I can be like, get to work. But nobody, nobody asks. asks. They all run. <laughs> they all run out of the station to go do whatever the fuck. And then you pointed out to me, Brittany, that I would say that this this episode, it spanned over a couple of days. So it certainly was not pucker time. Nobody ever took their fucking sweet time. No, this was, he doesn't get, they get one call about something, but it's not about pucker time. <laughs> it's pucker time, It's not folks. a pucker time related call. Why isn't there a bar called it's pucker time? Ooh, and you only serve pucker vodka? I wanted to Google it, but I was terrified. I was like, I can't Google pucker time. And so, you know. I'm going to do it right now. Let's see what You're going to do it? Yeah. But on your home Wi-Fi? Um, but I'm going to put it on private so it doesn't save it to my searches. Let's see. I hope I you don't get pucker. what I think you're definitely going to get. Mm. Is it gross? No. The first thing that pops up goes, it's pucker time definition. And I only Googled pucker time. If this um, is a phrase. What the fuck? Uh, what the puck? <laughs> where the hell? I don't fucking see. You know, like when it says something and then you click on it and you can't yeah. find like where. Like right now. Yeah, I hate that. Definitions of pucker. And I'm like, I know what puckering means. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Let's see. Well, now. It's pucker time. To. There's a show called The Pucker Time Show. It's pucker time definition. Okay, but you're not giving me the definition of it's pucker time. All right. The, uh, the internet's trying to tell me it's pucker time, and they have not a clue. <laughs> not a fucking clue. Well, it's, it never gets to pucker time, all right? We, we're never there. No. Um, yeah, he tells him to start looking at other boroughs to see if, like, anyone see if like to see if anyone such as the victim has gone or been reported missing he tells him to go talk to the captain of the central park police squad i did write park ranger at first and forgetting that there is probably an entire division of cops devoted just to central park and it's vast wilderness and craig is like but be careful he's a jerk times 10 yeah keep in mind he's a jerk times 10 i mean i guess because you can't say fucking asshole on primetime television they were like you got to make it strong. And they're like, jerk times 10. Yeah, because normally you would say, like, he's a big dick. Dun, dun. dun. So now we're back at Central Park. I want to know where their office is because this is annoying, this commute. I know. They're just, like, up and down, up and down the street. Yeah. Well, Benson and Siebler were literally just here, like, an hour before. I know. Like, why couldn't they have? Oh, yeah, there aren't, like, cell phones. But they didn't need to go back to the office just to hear about pucker time. No, there are cell phones. They're on cell phones all the time. Right. Remember, they had bricks back then. Remember the time <laughs> Munch was given the business to that airline guy and was like, and why yes. don't you turn off your cell phone? And the guy was like, it's yours. The Jerk Times 10 is telling them that the park is at its lowest crime in 30 years. And Olivia's like, oh, but has there been any wolf pack type activity? <laughs> I just think about Zach Galifianakis and his wolf pack and the hangover, but whatever. So she then makes a specific reference to um, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, which I was like, what the hell was that? 
but she's referring to these Puerto Rican Day parade attacks that occurred on June 11th, 2000. So literally like just a few months before this is supposed to be taking place. Have you ever heard of this? No, I'd only heard. I knew about Wilding, but when she referenced that, I did look it up briefly, but I had never heard of it. It's so I think all this like pucker time. Oh, my God, what's going on is because I the NYPD was in a lot of trouble at this time because of not preventing. I think this was a big deal when it happened. And for those of you who were like us living in blissful ignorance of this fuck shit, there was this parade and it was super hot. And over the course of this parade, there was this particular area of Central Park that was not being patrolled. Like there was police presence everywhere, but kind of the Central Park area. And these packs of men were approaching women and squirting them with water. Not a huge deal. But then like ripping at their clothes, groping them. I believe a few women were sexually assaulted. But when all was said and done, 50 people, over 50 women came forward and said they were assaulted in some way, whether it was groping, pushing what have you. Um, It was a big fucking deal. The NYPD was highly criticized for letting this happen. So I'm guessing a lot of like everyone seeming pissed in this episode, like at the beginning of this episode, it's based on what happened here. So I think because back then people would have known about that and understood that's what they were referencing. I think because us coming in now, it just seems like everyone's kind of up in arms for no reason. I'm thinking this is why. That's just my theory. That makes sense. And like Central Park has a history of because if you've never been there, I mean, it looks big on a map, but that bitch is big. It's massive. And there's like all these areas that are just like kind of straight up like, well, they're man-made, but like woods even. Like there's like a whole area with like waterfalls. That's so random. I mean, they find multiple bodies per season in SVU. And I'm just assuming, not that I'm assuming that's based on real life, but I'm assuming at least a couple times a year they find a body there. I think if you're a predator, there's something a lot more appealing about Central Park because you're like trapped in there, you know? So the jerk times 10 is all pissy that Olivia dares bring up that there might be some sort of like pack violence. And he's like, there's just a few isolated incidents in this park. And then he sticks his finger right in her face and he's like, no gangs. She gets that a lot this episode. People keep like getting in her face. And then Stapler's like, oh, well, can I ask you one more question? The guy's like, call me and just disappears immediately into this car and drives away. And they're like, "Okay." And I thought he'd hang around a little bit more this episode because Cragen even gave him like a preamble. He was like, hey, you're going to have to go deal with this jerk. We see him for a second. Goodbye. We don't ever hear from him again. Don't worry. Yeah. His storyline's done. He even even has kind of a storyline, but guess not. They're like, well, that's it. So they walk away. Yeah, he well, he walks away from them. He's like, no games. Bye. Um, And then they find the cop on the horse with the horse from the very beginning. And he just like literally sidles up to them kind of. And they're like, what's the deal with your boss? Well, they don't say that. But like, he's actually very excited to give them the tea. Like he kind of just like sidles up to them with the horse. And he's like, you want to know my boss is such a fucking jerk times 10. <laughs> but it's because um, there actually is a pattern of group or pack violence and or wilding in Central Park. But the like cranky captain guy didn't know about it until like yesterday. So he's pissed and he's afraid he's going to take it up towards the Moors Commission. This one pack of kids are like a group of like privileged kids on their mountain bikes. And they like to harass women and like, you know, circle them on their bikes. It's like they like to harass a pretty young thing. 
yell at her and stuff. And I'm like, ew, you're harassing me with that phrasing. And it sounded so stupid. But then I pictured a group of teenagers surrounding me in a place where there weren't a lot of people around me. And I was like, no, that is actually really scary. I'm very afraid of teenagers. (laughs) Oh, me too. They're really aggressive. And I mean, if you beat them up and they deserved it, people let it go. But like at first it's all like, oh, you're an adult and you hit a child. (laughs) Guys, make hitting teens okay again. Please make it okay again. There are Mm. so many teens I wanted to just smack in in the name of justice. Mm. The horse cop explains that he busted one of the (laughs) leaders of these wolf packs earlier this week. And we're going to go get to meet him. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Brownstone. BNS tracked down the leader of the group at his brownstone, said Paige in her notes. Um, <laughs> the head, so the head boy is named Chris Lyons, and his dad answers the door, and he literally says, what now? And I'm like, well, that's a red flag. But we must have the right house. Yeah. Know, they're like looking down at their paper. They're like, all right, well, we got the right house. Yeah, thank God. You, thanks for letting us know. We were going to ask. I think they do say like Chris Lyons and he's like, what? So he tells them that they can talk to his lawyer and they immediately remind him that if they make it difficult, they could just go get a warrant. Stabler says it. And I think Olivia was he like, says it. she wanted to say it. She was taken off. You get to get called the warrant guy um, after she harassed him with too many files. Right. So we did discover that last episode. So now it, it, it is tracking since that we came up with that. Doesn't she know a guy that, didn't she say, like, I know a guy at the Warren office. We're like, that's why you're always calling, isn't it? I can't remember if she said that or we decided she did because of all the times. <laughs> she was like, I'm getting a warrant. And we were like, she must know somebody. But then last episode, we're like, well, it ended poorly, just like Nick Ganser. And she threw one of her files in his face and was like, men like you. I just remember that is the story we gave her. Okay, so that's why Elliot had to say it, everybody, in case you were wondering why Olivia didn't say it this time. It's said twice in this episode, and none of them are by her, so she's definitely on... She's on probation right now. Now, not to be critical... Do it. Be critical. the scene where they go to talk to Chris Lyons' dad is they could have put, like, taken that time elsewhere, and they could have just cut right to what we see now, which is them meeting at the lawyer's office. Like, we didn't need this teeny tiny scene of them being like, can we talk to Chris Lyons? And he's like, nope. And they're like, well, what if we threaten to get a warrant? He's like, okay. I'm so angry that I even took the time to explain it and write it down in notes. No, you're right. It's so dumb. And that's why I do the pre-watch so that I can, like, suss out the scenes I don't need to take notes on. Did it anyway. Uh, uh, Yeah, the guy's kind of funny. I think that's why I decided to write it down. But, like, you're right. That was so fucking useless. So, done, done. Don Don. God. Don Don. So now we're at the attorney's office and we meet Chris Lyons, who has the biggest smirk on his face and has his hair gelled to the high heavens a la Ryan Cabrera. Very much a la Ryan Cabrera. He's got one of those chin piercings that has not been cool since 01. There was a lot of men during this era with like the, it was like a a spike sticking out of that area. Oh, yes. Ugh disgusting i bet they always got infected that's nasty i'm so angry now so apparently chris was arrested last week for threatening a mother and a baby and chris opens his mouth and goes i was just checking her out yo stabler keeping in time with this and they really just decide to like lean into him doing this i don't understand why because it's ridiculous hey yo where were you last night it probably seemed cool at the time but it just looks dated and lame 
The dad flips and just yells like, oh my god, you're talking about that woman from the park. How dare you accuse my son. Chris, don't say a word. Calm the fuck down. You clearly think he did this. Yes. And then in this outburst, we find out Chris, who appears to be a solid 27. They're like, he is 15 years old. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. I know. And I know we ask a lot of the casting department, but this is better. He is better than last week when they had Michael. <laughs> At least this kid has a close shave because I'm sure he, yeah. he needs to shave because I looked it up. I want to say that actor was at least like 26. Chris kind of like rolls his eyes and he's like, I wasn't there. And Stabler then goes, hey, you and your homies, you walk the walk. But do you talk the talk? <laughs> What the fuck has gotten into him? So Olivia's like, oh, I've got to answer my phone and like sneaks away because she's probably embarrassed. Uh, so then Chris admits that he and his friends like to check out the ladies, but then he gets really serious. He goes, but what happened to that lady? We're not down with that. And I believe him actually I in this him moment. Too. And Stabler's like, well, what are you down with? And we're like, Stabler, enough. Stop drinking in the morning. Maureen is having a seizure somewhere. Like, feeling this happen. Well, him and Chris are just, like, cringe, like, having a cringe off. Like, who can be lamer? Because then Chris goes, dot calming. And his dad's like, that's right. He was dot calming until nine in the morning. And I was like. You can check our records. I'm like, what? So we got excited thinking they were going to go back to the internet and talk to their internet friend again. But Olivia kind of comes over and, like, time for a little whisper. She, like, comes up to Stabler. She's like, we got to fucking go. He's like, what? Why? She's like, it's not what we think. It's not that theory we had that we had no evidence to support. So they have like a little whisper. (laughs) Yeah, we were wrong on that stupid idea we had that had no basis in reality. (laughs) Thank God he had Dot Calming on his side that night. See, stay home. Stay home. There might be a murder. Mm -hmm. You lonely people out there who don't have many friends. Don't worry, because you're so lonely, no one's ever going to think you were involved in a group murder. They're going to be like, it's not that loser with no friends. friends. He's never wolf packing. Wilding. Wilding. So, dun dun, we're at the Emmy's office. Who Uh, the fuck is this chick? I don't know. And then she bothered me. Oh, she makes a dumb joke at the end. It was stupid. And and again, I'm like, we're back to making jokes. Yeah, we're back to making jokes when we don't need to. She says, this, this broad, says that there was only one semen sample found with the victim, so it couldn't have been group violence. Which I was like, what if just one of them... Raped her. I don't know. They're jumping yeah. to a lot of conclusions this episode, and I'm very uncomfortable with, but... Yeah, they're moving around their apple box and just hopping up and down off of it every time. I'm like... <laughs> So she notes that the rape happened approximately eight hours before she was stabbed, which. And then at that point, I was like, why are we calling it a rape then? Yes. Have we confirmed? Thank you. But no one cares. They're going to continue to call it that. And well, and also like we were thinking, we're like, what? How does one determine when this this sex is eight hours old? Like, how did you determine that? Was the hymen blood, the hymen blood that is separate blood from the rest of the body, was that blood? They're like, oh, it's clearly eight hours old. There were also some white cotton fibers found on her. And they also have a bloody print um, found on the rock used to hit the victim over the head. 
I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Because we're both realizing we didn't need to write down, I think, half as many notes about this scene as we had. So she goes, take a look at this. And then she takes out the shirt the victim was wearing, which I like how she's like, look at this new evidence. And I'm like, "Mm, it was on her body. (laughs) They saw it when they were there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shirt with a college's name on it. It's, uh, I think it was, oh, Hanford University. And then this idiot goes, if you wanted to go back to college, now's your chance. You're holding a rape victim's blood-soaked shirt. Yeah, listen, we the audience know about Stabler's burning desire to have gone to Everglades University and that he loves going back to college. <laughs> like a slut. You don't know that. So that's, imagine investigating a vicious felony. And the fucking Emmy's like, well, if you wanted to go back to college. I was like, Jasmine, yeah, what? this is a crime. Sorry, I don't know her name. <laughs> I like that it's Jasmine. I, was, I almost called like, her Melinda, but then I was like, no, no, no. That's like our real Emmy's name. Yeah. She, who makes her own little jokes. But this one was so out of place. And it's like, we don't know you. Well, You're holding a bloody shirt. It reminded me of Becky from also from sophomore jinx when she was like, <gasps> But that's not his schedule. It's hers. Go away. That was a weird moment. I don't know you. Dun dun. Dun dun. Well, now we're at Hanford University for a blink and you'll miss it scene where this (laughs) lady literally just shows Benson and Stabler pictures of students. And basically, Olivia's like, the people you're showing me are not Middle Eastern enough. Could you look that way? And I was like, I don't think she can search that way, Olivia. Because she's going, no, no, no. I'd be like, do you want to do this alone? (laughs) Like, I don't need to be sitting here clicking for you. But two seconds later, per this, you know, in in true law and order fashion, two seconds later, they click and they see the victim who doesn't look anything like the body that was used. Personally, I know that woman was supposed to be like mangled, but I was like, this lady doesn't look anything like that other lady. But her name is Nafisa Amir. She's 22. Okay, on the computer screen, it says 22, but then Stabler goes 23. And I'm like, you drunk. Yeah. Just drunk. Because I wrote down 23, but no, that makes sense that you could get it wrong. She's from Afghanistan. Uh, so Libby announces that they will be faxing. Oh, this is the thing I missed. They see in her emergency contact information, the emergency contact, it's a man named uh, Daoud Tarzi. And so then there's an address for him. So Olivia announces they will be faxing Munch Nafisa's photo. Dun, dun. So Munch and Finn are sent to the emergency contacts address. Um, a man answers the door, but it's kind of weird because they knocked and he opens it like he was going to leave. But doesn't he know they're there? Did I miss something? No, he kind of does. Like, yeah, they knock and then he opens the door like, oh, surprised to see you there. Yeah. So like maybe he wasn't listening. Strange. He has a Band-Aid on his head that much like the sunglasses from the model episode, you're like, all right, well, that's going to be important later. Yeah. And they ask if he's Mr. Tarzi. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that di- guy doesn't live here anymore. Uh, he's taking a beat too long to answer any of their questions. And he's claiming he's a guy named David Hamoud. But when Munch... In- asks for id he shows him a piece of id but it doesn't have a photo on it and he's like well i'm leaving so i can't really help you munch holds up a picture of nafisa and asks if he's seen her before he's like oh nope i only moved here a week ago i don't even know the landlord gotta run they're like this is fucking weird but he's like yeah i've got a meeting but if you guys want to come back in the evening sounds good bye gotta go now this is something that I don't know when's a good time to bring up in this episode. Uh, 
When we first met Finn last episode, he walked in in what I would call like streetwear. He's got like baggy pants on, like a matching top, like pretty casual. He's now wearing a three-piece suit. Yeah. (laughs) Had they not decided how they were going to characterize him? Was he working undercover? And they called him from undercover to go work at SB? Like, I, because he used to work in... I know at one point, remember, we talked about how we weren't sure, like, if he was in gang, the gang unit or in narcotics. But then we were like, is it narcotics? Um, I think they do mention later on that he went undercover as, like, a person in a gang. So I don't know if they were trying to, like, show us that where he, like, is, you know, he does undercover work a lot. So he's wearing, like, street clothes or something like that, you know? Do you think it was, like, because they wanted everyone to be excited because it was, like, you know, Ice-T, the rapper? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they were like, oh, if we get him too dressed up, they'll never recognize him. I guess they all wore suits, but he's dressed a lot like Munch versus, like, dressing like Elliot. Yeah. Elliot, like, wears, like, a, like a dumb dad suit, usually. Yeah. He's, well, he's almost like a full three-piece. I think he even has a vest on under his jet. I was, yeah. I was like, he is fresh to death. They do look sketch when he and Munch show up. Like, it's funny because, like, they don't, neither of them look like cops. They look more like FBI men in black, you know, yeah. like that type of shit. Yeah, they, I wouldn't want to tell them things either because they looked very. Oh, I don't fucking blame David Hamoud for being like, bye. Dun dun. We're back at Hanford University. Every time I th- see Hanford, I think of Hannaford's, you know, Hannaford's, we never stop. I wrote Hannaford College. I was like, well, I'm just going to do that. Made up school. How come we didn't ever come back to Hanford? We had just like, they're like Hudson University. What happened to Hanford? Well, they hadn't. They're still working stuff out, Paige. They haven't. I'm excited for our first. I mean, that's iconic. The oh, Hud- the Hudson, Hudson University. University. The iconic like rape, rape college. <laughs> rape College USA. Yeah, god damn. Where Kathy's, not Kathy, uh, Kathleen Stabler ends up going, which it's like, don't put one of the Stabler kids at rape you. I know. Send her to Hanford or Everglades University. I will never get over that. So B and S are speaking to one of Nafisa's professors who, this is so weird. She goes, oh my God. And they're like, is that Nafisa? And she goes, I can't be sure. (laughs) I see her every day. No, I was like, I thought she was going to go, yes, it is. She was like, right? I guess she was going, oh my God, over like seeing a, like a bruised hurt person, but it was still weird. It was like a weird delivery where she was like, well, oh my God. And they're like, is it Nafisa? She's like, can't be sure. Can't tell. I do. But then she goes, I see her every day, several times a day yeah, in many of my lectures. <laughs> but I don't know. I can't tell if it's her or not. I'm like, are you just not, you don't want to commit, like, I don't want it to be her. But she just sounds like she really can't tell. She kind of, they discuss, they, they do this a lot in this episode where they discuss that Nafisa's is from Afghanistan. She's happy to be in America because there's not the same restrictions over here. They also note that she's likely not a runaway because Afghan women are, are not, I don't know if this is still true, but they're not allowed to travel without their families. So she most likely is here with her family was that part. Then they ask about if Nafisa has any friends at the university and Annette Fleming is her best friend. And I said, the writers took out their big book of depression era names to name this character. Annette. Annette Fleming. It was very surreal to hear this professor talk about the Taliban. Also noting that this episode is pretty much a full year pre 9-11. 
now almost 20 years later they just took control again i don't know it was like i don't know very surreal hearing them talk about it that way and that in like probably another life we would have been like oh what's that i don't remember that right but not how things played out and this episode, uh, as of this recording, although you guys are going to be hearing it probably a lot later, just because Paige needs to get off her ass and edit. <laughs> it was 9-11 last week, so weird. Yeah, weird timing. Weird timing. Now we're with the best friend, Annette Fleming, which sounds like the name of a famous person. Oh, because I'm thinking of Annette Benning. <laughs> and Annette actually does I- identify Nafisa, and she's in shock. I don't really like her delivery. Um. Mm, I know. I saw her yesterday in class. I can't even. I should have prepared an impression and I didn't. I just know she annoyed me. (laughs) They're like, was Nafisa depressed at all? And she goes, the opposite. Nafisa was loving life. Yeah, she just like talks like. It's like, oh, God. Everyone kind of does in this episode. Everyone's very like high key drama with their acting. Mm hmm. So they ask if Nafisa has a boyfriend and Annette explains that she wouldn't talk about it and she's protecting herself. Her father is an Afghan diplomat and she also mentions he's looking for her and wouldn't want her and Annette to be friends. Nobody's concerned that he's looking for her. Yeah, no one thinks it's weird. Let's put a pin in that. So Annette says that this father wouldn't let her go out. He made her wear the robes and then she would wear them when she left the house and then would change when she got to school. She'd also been talking to this man named Professor Husseini, who was helping her adjust. And Olivia goes, Annette, where are the forbidden clothes? I know. <laughs> this is, oh, this is what, what I didn't like. She goes, in her locker. In her locker. It's like, uh, why are you saying it like that? And like the K <laughs> was so like. <sighs> and why did Olivia have to go, and those forbidden clothes, where are they? That's not exactly how she says it, but she calls them her forbidden clothes. Well, done time. At the lockers. Yeah, so they find in her stuff in her locker, um, they find a photo of a young man among her things, and then also her actual address. Dun, dun. So now we go to the Amir apartment. Nafisa's father, Saleh Amir, doesn't seem shocked at all or upset that Nafisa's in critical condition after having been attacked. Her mother is in the room, too, but she doesn't react to anything or speak or anything like that. Yeah, she's wearing a niqab, so everything but her eyes is covered. So they tell Soleil what happened, and he goes, oh, is she dead? Yeah, she dead. Kind of hopefully. And they're like, no. So he pulls Stabler aside because fuck Olivia. She's a woman. Yeah, (laughs) she looks hurt. Tells him a bunch of sus shit. He's like, she didn't understand her place. She turned her back on traditions in her family she's dead to me and as this is happening olivia and aziza that it's the mom make eye contact that's like kind of like a side thing that's happening and stabler's like all right um nafisa was beaten and raped and Soleil's like mm, well she slept with someone who wasn't her husband and they're kind of like the fuck hmm. but- yeah this is a weird reaction so Saleh Amir is played by Iranian-American actor Marshall Manesh. You've seen him because he has been in everything. He's been in True Lies, Parts of the Caribbean at World's End, Scrubs, ER, X-Files, most well-known as the cab driver Ranjit in How I Met Your Mother. But you have seen this guy in something. To summarize the scene, the Amirs are super sus. And Benson and Stabler are like, well, that's weird. Bye. 
Soleil goes, now please leave us alone so that we may mourn our daughter's poor life choices. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) so dramatic. Can you imagine? Like, they're like, we're going to mourn her life choices. (laughs) Like, right, if I died, someone's like at your house and you're like, can you just leave? I need to like think about how dumb my friend was. Don't mourn her. Mourn her poor choices. (laughs) Her poor choices. (laughs) Dun, dun, station. So Cragen's like, So it was her fault that she was raped as if this argument isn't used in America all the time as if they didn't have this conversation. Like they're like brand like they're brand new to victim blaming. They're like, so (laughs) they're saying it's her fault. And I'm like, yeah, you've never heard the phrase. What was she wearing? What do you knew? Yeah. You knew. He like can't remember that they all did it to that one teenage victim from season one. They were like, why is she wearing a bra top and a skirt? Yeah, this sex worker. What does she expect? And he's like, so it's her fault that she got raped? Thank you, sir. Olivia is like, well, listen, they behead women for shaming their family where she comes from. And Munch strides in and he's like, my ex dishonored me and all she got was my money. And I was like, dear Lord, a a woman's dying in the hospital, Munch. And like, how come he's allowed to trauma dump about his marriage at the office, but Monique Jeffries wasn't allowed to go like, fuck a hot guy that may or may not have been a rape suspect at one point? Yeah, justice for Monique. She she did one inappropriate thing and Munch is like, oh, a virgin. Oh, this. Cragen asks what kind of diplomatic work Nafisa's father does. And Olivia says that, well, she's basically like, I don't know yet. (laughs) So Craigan goes, let's get specific people. He's about to get it because he's already upset. He's worried about the phone calls because these are now diplomats. So as we know, it's a lot worse for Craigan when somebody rich or in any way involved in government. It could just be even slightly local. And Craigan's like, well, let's figure it out. I'm about to get phone calls from the people who hate this shit. You know, I just want to practice my putting game in my office and people are going to start calling me and being like, are you going to do anything about this crime? Ugh. Ugh. It's pucker time, folks. Do you not remember? Start getting specific. <laughs> Stabler's showing them a photo of the young man that they found, and Munch realizes that it's the same guy with the bandage on his head from when they were up at the apartment earlier. They're, he literally a son of a bitch is that guy. <laughs> 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 I don't know why. They're all so surprised. So I knew from day one that that dude was definitely the guy they thought he was. Like, obviously. Obviously, and then so, you've never been lied to before. What are you new? And then we didn't mention it at the time, but Finn had asked how he got the cut on his head. He goes, Did you oh no, he goes, Did you get it because you were trying to fix your broken sink? You mentioned. And the guy goes, As a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> they're like, like so off you go. They lied to their face. And they're like, son of a bitch, that guy lied. Oh my god, it was that guy. So done, done. Outside the guy's apartment, everyone's waiting in their squad cars, and they see the guy walking up to the door. But he sees them, and he starts to book it. Well, they're being about as subtle as the time that Monique <laughs> Jeffries watched the subway rapist and was like, "Sorry, I'm doing acting again." Finn is outside his door, like in the the guy like turns, like not even trying to hide, and he goes, "I think he made me." I'm like, "I think he did too." Well. And like you said, he's sitting there in a fucking three-piece suit looking like, you know, 
a guy from the government. Like, yeah. of course you're going to notice him. He's not blending in at all. So B&S try to head him off, but he bobs and he weaves. And they're all just chasing him around the street. And so then they he gets back on, like, the opposite sidewalk. And B&S are trying to come from the front. From, like, over there off screen, a body just launches and flies and lands on top of this guy. <laughs> and it's so funny. Because it's clearly a body double, but it was supposed to be Finn. Do you want to hear something sad? <laughs> so I saw that no. scene and I'm like, oh, this must be this must be a callback to when Finn did football in high school. And then I re- remember that was the <laughs> fiction I was reading the other day to you. I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a callback because he played football in high school. <laughs> no, he didn't. I mean, maybe he did. But that was from that really good fan fiction I read last week. Brian, or no, Brian, Ben, he just texted me. That's why I thought that. And I think he's drunk, so I'm going to minimize this so I don't get distracted <laughs> by whatever bullshit I'm about to be bombarded with. My brother Ben found a fan fiction for Law & Order SVU. And so I sent Brittany the link, and I haven't gotten to read it yet, but it's apparently <laughs> a treat. It is too good. But in that, in that, I just remembered Serena Benson. <laughs> And she was drunk again. <laughs> she just she and then I look and shit. The pain. scene, the scene where the popular kids are just following Stabler around. And like, why aren't you friends with us anymore? You're friends with that prude, <laughs> Olivia Benson, uh, Dean Porter. And then when somebody insults them back, then they start insulting him back. They're like, they're like, oh, Dean, you're a poo poo head. He goes, what? They're what? just like, what? Stuff. What? What'd you say? What? <laughs> uh, it was so good. But so, yeah, when Flynn, Finn did that flying tackle, I'm like, yeah, his old football years. <laughs> well. So. Oh, God, this fucking show has seeped into our yeah. brain. Um, so, yeah, then Stabler looks at Finn and goes, nice tackle. <laughs> I'm going to post it because it's hilarious. It was, it was hilarious. He like comes flying, like the body double comes flying out of nowhere. Like, da-da. So the guy is right. They pick. They pick him up off the ground. He's ranting and raving. He's like, "I'll never tell them where she is. I'll never tell them. They'll never find her." And I'm like, "Oh my god, Kim!" I know. And they also don't really seem to clock what he's saying. No, you're right. Shocked later when they find out some things. But yeah, he's like, "I'll never." He's like, "I'm not gonna give her up. I'll never tell you." And they're like, "We already found her." And I'm like, "What do you guys think he means?" I guess, like, because at first, I, when, you know, I couldn't remember this episode, so I'm like, maybe he did kill her, and he's like, I'll, you'll never find her body in the vast wilderness of Central Park. Looking back, now I'm like, no, he was, like, way too, he was, like, raving, yes. you know? Ranting in a raven. It was kind of funny. He was like, Whoa, I'll never tell. I'll never tell. They don't like context clues. Dun dun. So we're back at the station. And Munch is explaining to Cragen that uh, Deo Tarzi came here in 1988 alone, no family. He became a citizen in 93. Uh, he has his own import-export business because they need something that sounds legit but that they don't really have to get into. It's fabrics. I was like, I don't care. Cragen's like, well, we need to keep this out of the papers, probably because he'll get phone calls. But he's like, until we're sure he's the doer. Shut up. <laughs> The doer. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Your face. 
<laughs> it was like the SpongeBob with the um striped sweater. <laughs> so now we're inside the interrogation room, and I always want to call him Dave Tarzi. I don't know what to call. I know. Him. No, it's Dave Tarzi. You're right. And they never say, "Oh, David is really Dave Tarzi." Wait. Where did he get that ID from? Remember when yeah. he showed them an ID? No. I mean, it had, didn't have his picture, but they had, like, the guy, and he called himself David, um, I forget the last name he used. But I'm like, so you just, like, did you get that before all of this started happening? I guess I should have asked that question after we explained the scene, but. And then I was confused because I was like, is he re- really David Hamoud, but he knew Nafisa, so that's why they're mad at him? But, like. They never like are like, oh, you actually are Deod Tarzi. I actually called him David for a few lines until like they rarely say his name. And then I'm like, OK, no, because I had no idea. I was like, maybe there was like two people. There's Deod Tarzi and David Hamoud. And but they both know her, but they don't care. That I no, these they questions. just. More of a stake in identities for us, confusing the shit out of us. I started calling him Tarzi because I kept writing David at first, too. It was like with Gretchen, you know, like I yeah. was like, Ugh. so I call him Tarzi. So inside the mean interrogation room, Tarzi said he wants to see her. And Stabler is like, yeah, so you could beat her up a little bit more. Um, he's on one. Yeah. And when he's on one, suspects tend to ignore him. Like Tarzi ignores yes. him and looks at Olivia because she's like the sane one. And he's like, how is she? She explains that she's in critical condition. And he grabs his head and he's like, I'm responsible. He explains that he's in love with her. And then they had an argument and she ran out. And they're like, all right, well, what did you argue about? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Her father won. And they're like, uh, won what? Yeah, he says they are. He and Nafisa argued the night that she died. Um, because he wanted her to stop basically acting like this was still Afghanistan and like, you know, stop being so scared of her parents to grow up. And he implies that her father did something to her as an act of revenge for rebelling, essentially. So clearly after meeting Soleil and, well, mostly just Soleil, you know something's off with him. But this is kind of where they start, like, really laying the groundwork that he's like, well, they already kind of did because with Annette, they were like, she's afraid of her father. He's a change outside. So I already at this point was like, okay, her dad did something to her. You know what I mean? Oh, he's acting sus as fuck. And Stabler goes, well, he said she was dead to him. So it doesn't really sound like he wants revenge. And I was like, Unless he already got revenge? Right. Oh, yeah. Sorry he wouldn't have admitted to getting revenge to the cops. Like, what do you mean? Why are they so dumb in this episode? I think that's my big problem. It's it's pretty fucking obvious that her family had something to do with this. And they're just like, it must be this guy because he lied about his name. And then I know what he, and like, he said, I'm responsible for this. But you could tell that's not what he means. Now, is he an idiot for saying that in a fucking, you know, interrogation room absolutely that's neither here nor there they could pick up on tone and he says he loved Nafisa and he wanted to marry her so then they cut to outside of the room and Cragen tells Munch to go see if any of Tarzi's neighbors heard that argument that they were having dun dun uh and now a quick scene with one of their neighbors he's basically throwing trash bags and confirms there was an argument that he couldn't understand because they argued in their native language and he's just madly throwing trash bags. 
he sounds like Kermit the Frog or Ray Romano. He's talking kind of like this. And so he says at one point before they switched to their native language, he heard Nafisa, the, the woman, yell um, that he was trying to control her. Though, oh, she said that she was he was a control freak in English and then something about her father also in English. And then he heard that one of them left the apartment. They like slammed the door and left, but he didn't know which one. Dun dun. So now we're in, oh no, now we're just inside the apartment. So I guess it didn't need a dun dun. But Olivia stares at a picture of Nafisa and Daoud and says wistfully, they looked happy. And Sailor just croaks like, they all look happy. <laughs> He's so dramatic. Um, and I he know. picks up a white blanket like, hmm, could these be the fibers? They never talk about this blanket again. So a CSI comes over with a sheet with a fair amount of blood on it. They're like, oh my God, this must be it. Okay. I want to explain biology to these idiots. When women lose their virginities, if there is blood, because there isn't always, it's usually not a lot. It's a little bit. It's not what they yeah. showed, which was like, a, I would say, I don't know, the size of my fist. Like a, It was a lot of blood. And if that is what happened to you when your hymen broke, they would do a lot more talking about it in health class because... They would need you to know that you're going to think you're hemorrhaging. Yes. Like, it looked like a hemorrhage. I feel like hymens were something I was so concerned about when I was a teenager, only to grow up. And I honestly haven't thought about a hymen since this episode, like, in the, like, probably a decade until this episode. I was like, oh, yeah. I think sometimes writers and people, but writers for movies and stuff, relied too much on the hymen thing for, like, you know, the virgin. Because... I always knew, I don't know, I read, actually, I think it was The Care and Keeping of You, American Girl Doll book. I read that hymens can break kind of throughout your life. Like, so like, you know, if you're really active in sports, it might break at some point. Or horseback riding, especially. Horseback riding. Like, remember, they used to like say stuff like, oh, horse girls, it doesn't hurt when they lose their virginity because it broke because they're crazy on the horse. It's like, what? So way too much hymen talk. I was a little embarrassed for that. Too much hymen talk. My own hymen talk I'll be cutting out. <laughs> you can keep my hymen talk in. In fact, I'd like to call this episode hymen talk. Hymen talk. Hymen talks during pucker time. Hymens and pucker. No. Mm. We're just going to call it it's pucker time. Dun dun. Anything else from this scene? No, that's it. That's hymens. Hymens and pucker time. So really quick scene. Cabot and Cragen are like canoodling in his office when BNS come in all hot to trot about the blood on the sheets being Nafisa's. They're like, well, the blood was hers and the semen was Tarsi's. And I'm like, because they were dating. Uh, the print on the rock doesn't match. Uh, it's not Nafisa's and it's not Tarsi's. But Cabot does not care. She's like, we've got blood and semen, people. From what could have been <laughs> a consensual encounter, but oh, who cares? Da-da, we're in court. Also, like, how do they know it was, like, I'm, because it's just funny how they're like, this is definitely blood from a rape. It maybe I've, um, I didn't realize I cut my knee shaving one time. And I, it was like a shower at night. So I got in bed the next morning. I had this big blood stain on my fucking white sheets. And I'm like, what? And it was because my friggin' knee was bleeding. Yeah. No, they're, <laughs> they. It could have been knee blood. <laughs> once they have, like, they're thought of what happened they just go with it it was wolf packs they were ready to like arrest chris lyons up until olivia was like it's, it's, shh, it's not what we think we should go we need to get the fuck out of here it's not what we think 
it's so funny because I couldn't hear what you were saying. Oh. So it dead ass looked. No, but it was like the visual. <laughs> You'll be is... able to when you listen back. So Alex Cabot's like, cool, we're going to take this one to trial. Dun dun. Arraignment court. Mark Siegelman? Why did I write this? Oh, because the. Okay, I wrote Mark Siegelman is kind of hot. Am I having a crisis? So we meet this judge for two seconds and his name is Mark Siegelman. I guess I thought he was kind of hot. I love that for you. I know. I don't really understand. Yeah. I'm like, what was happening? I haven't been drunk in a little while. Um, Tarzi's lawyer is arguing that Tarzi doesn't need to be, rep- uh, to be remanded without bail. He's upstanding, and he even owns his own imports and exports business. So then Siegelman goes, well, that's good. Let's make sure he doesn't export himself. And then he denies the bail. He was probably like to the court stenographer, did you get that? Did you get my import-export joke? And Nancy from Stenography. <laughs> yes, Judge. I got it, Mark. He's doing this. Tarzi turns around and he sees Nafisa's parents sitting in the galley. He whispers to his lawyer and is then taken away. So the lawyer's big head walks up to Alex. <laughs> big head. Walks up to Alex and says that Tarzi wants her to know that Amir, the Amirs were in the courtroom. And she's like, so noted. She's like, K. Thank you. Um, Tarsi also wants her to know that he will take a, t- a lie detector test. I remember, like, I knew what he meant. Like, I know what they wanted us to think when they're like, the emirs are in the galley. But at this point, even though they were like, we don't care about our daughter, maybe they do. I think the big problem is that there are things that Tarsi should have told the detectives, which he tells them later, after he's gone through all of this hullabaloo. And I'm like, what? why didn't you just say this in your first interview? But no, you're whatever, right. Dun dun. We go to the lie detector test. He's put through the test and he passes. I mean, I could give you a blow by blow, but I won't. They're like, "Did you stab Nafisa Amir?" And he's like, "No," and he passes. Yeah. Uh, Gregan and Alex are outside, and I think they mentioned that it was a little weird that um. The Amirs were at the arraignment trial, even though they alleged not to give a shit. So, and that's when I said that I thought it was strange that they didn't think it was whatever. <laughs> Later in the bullpen, they reveal that Tarsi passed the test, as Brittany said. Or beat it. And Kringen's like, or beat it. Beat it. It's like, beat it. Oh. So negative. What's the point of those tests if you don't believe? I mean, I've heard they're bullshit. So I don't know what the, I don't really know what the point is. They're supposed to measure, like, because usually when people are nervous because, like, they're lying, they show physical signs. So it's supposed to pick up on those things. But if you move, it can, like, have it. It's kind of like pregnancy tests, how there's all these rules about pregnancy tests. Like, you have to do it first pee in the morning, can't have eaten anything. You know, it's like, that's why you're supposed to go to, like, the doctor and get a blood test because fucking, you can fuck up a pregnancy test really easy. They're the same thing. (laughs) It's the exact same thing. You heard it here first. They're wondering if anyone else knew about Tarzi and Nafisa's relationship. And Stabler remembers Annette Fleming that she mentioned Nafisa's professor, Professor Husseini, and how she sought advice from him for about assimilating to America. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Back to Hannaford. We're at Hannaford's. And BNS are walking outside with Professor Husseini. And he's like, it's very hard to assimilate, especially for women. And he mentions that he kind of does this thing for students. So he mentions that they're tempted by all the things they can't do back home, which is basically everything. Everything, yeah. Taliban regime. Her family, like all holdovers from the previous government, view women as indentured servants and put them under house arrest. And he says this is not something the Koran would allow for them to do, but they're, you know, 
doing some like backwards traditions and all that bullshit. And then he mentions that it would be very dangerous for her family to try to go back home. Yeah. But then he implies that her dad's like a Taliban mole. Yeah. I I was a little confused by his line of. They're very expositional about the like they want us to understand the Taliban regime and like the restrictions on women specifically in Afghanistan. And yet it's like they're expositional and so vague because they're because they they give us no reason to. I guess it's like if Nafisa shamed them by stepping out with an American man, that's why it would be dangerous. But he's kind of just being like, could be this, could be that might not be this. It's probably that. Who knows? Yeah. Information dump and nothing concluded. So he mentions that Nafisa wanted to live as a modern family and she would have had to leave her family to do so. And Stabler's like, well, he asks if there's a reason she would hide from her family. And I'm kind of like, he just said there is. Right. But. I know. They keep being like, uh, so do you think that like her, she's afraid of her parents? Like, yeah, she, they couldn't find her. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I'm. I am kind of confused about her living situation because they keep going back and forth, making it sound like she had contact with her family and then not because they're like, oh, she was going to school dressed in her robes. But then she was right. living with Joe Tarzi for months and her family was looking for her. The timeline's a little strange. Yeah, because I think she was supposed to be living with him for like not too long, but long enough where like, you know. She put him as her emergency contact, too. So this has been going yeah. on, you know, like for I don't know if for she was. In, right. They're not really clear. But now basically this whole scene was to kind of like very long, long walk around the, the park. Explain that Nafisa's parents might be tied in with the Taliban, perhaps. Um, and that could have been the reason why. He sums it up by saying if she did what she did in Afghanistan, well, women have been murdered for less. Yeah, exactly. So, so Professor Husseini is played by um, Asif Mandvi. He's a British American comedian and actor born in India. And you may recognize him from The Daily Show, Spider Man 2, Sex in the City. He's the guy that fixes Carrie's laptop in that episode, My Motherboard Myself, where Aiden buys her the new laptop and she's a bitch about it. CSI, and of course, Oz. And it kind of struck me in this episode, we have two actors. I mean, not both from the Middle East because India is not in the Middle East, but fucking American Hollywood, right? Just right. Casting. Actually, upon research, I was not able to confirm that any actor in this episode was actually of Afghan ancestry. I was thinking that too because I looked him up because I was like, I am very sure that man is not from Afghanistan and he's not. So he's Indian. And then her dad is played by someone who's Iranian. Iranian. So, yeah, I was just kind of like, all right, you guys couldn't find any Afghan actors. No, it's true. Nope. They do that all the time. It's, it's so, well, you know, it's like, like these guys are both pr- like pretty huge actors. They have been in so many things. It's basically like if you can if you can pass to Americanize as Middle Eastern, they will just use the same person. for right. Every role. It's not like there's a ton of roles out there for them. So I just wanted to recognize that because that sucks. So, mean interrogation room. Alex tells Dawood that she doesn't give a shit that he passed the lie detector test. <laughs> She's like, you said you're responsible, which he did. And he goes, I meant I felt responsible, not that I killed her. She was like, you confessed. And he's like, no, I fucking didn't. I know. He was, he was like, I was just being really dramatic. You can't mix words at a police station. 
No. So Alex reminds him that they have his semen sample. And Tarzi pauses. <laughs> he, like, stands up, goes to the window, and then, like, leans against it. And then just gives this beautiful monologue about him and Nafisa's love. Uh, he says he tried to help her break away from her father's controlling mindset. Uh, he proposed to her. I guess, no, the night before she died, he proposed to her, I think. Because um, I'm also thinking about the eight hours blood thing. The timeline's very confusing. It is. He proposed to her and she said yes. He then says that they had sex and Alex goes, you forced her. Because he said it kind of weird. And he goes, no. But then he says that Nafisa accused him of dominating her. And I'm like, so kind of? Yeah, um... He passed the lie detector test because they asked if he raped her. He, he does not think he did, but it does sound like she probably got cold feet during and maybe tried to get him to stop and he got mad at her. Yeah, because he's his Which whole- Which is not okay. No, and I, you know, I, I said this earlier, but he's 33 and she's supposed to be like 22 or 23, so- that's a pretty big age gap. And at 23, you're still not you're just phasing out of being a teenager. So it's like he was kind of like I, I know a couple of people who didn't lose their virginity until like their 20s. You know what I mean? It's just a comfort thing. And she has all this religious shame about her virginity and all that that she's like been been working through. But she's. I mean, I don't know. how they, they never tell us how long they've been here either. So I can't be like, she's been working through that for years. I don't actually fucking know, but. It's a big deal to some people. And there could be a situation where some people are afraid of intimacy, you know, like physical intimacy. And um, it sounds like he had very little respect for her just maybe not being comfortable with it in general. So it was kind of a weird scene. I think they, or not scene, but like detail. I think they could have just made the fight like, you know, that if they didn't want us to be like, okay, so you kind of did force her. I don't know. It was a weird thing to introduce and then be like, but don't worry, it's not him. Like, they could have come up with another fight, like, afterwards. She was like, okay, and now I want us to go tell my parents. And he was like, that's not a good idea. And then they had a fight and she ran out. Right. But instead, they had to make it. They didn't even, like, say explicitly it was about the sex, but that's just the impression the episode left me with. Right. And then, of course, they're giving us this, like, they're showing us the sheet that's like, literally saturated with blood i mean it was but it had a lot of blood on it so also you you see that and then you're like okay she thought you were dominating her and then she left and there's all this blood on the sheet like i'm uncomfortable they argue she threw the ring at him and she left he goes on to say that Saleh Amir promised Nafisa to a government leader's son, I believe, or just a government leader i forget who it was but she promised he promised her in marriage to somebody for political gain, basically. Um, and she refused the marriage and it highly disrespected him. And so then as a result, she basically had to go into hiding from her dad because he was pissed. So again, they don't seem to think that's weird either. Am I crazy? They're kind of like, all right. They have been told in multiple ways that her dad's upset and she's afraid. Right. And it does not seem to get through to them until a few more actually it takes a few more scenes for them to figure out like what the fuck is up actually he says that before um oh because uh alex said why didn't you just go to the police if you knew all this and he says that the day before that a couple days i guess before like in the time when she was in hiding at his apartment a cop showed up to his apartment and demanded to know where nafisa was so daoud refused to tell him and the cop like split his head open uh and that's how he got the cut dun 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 dun. We take to the streets. We take to the streets. And Finn grabs this wise guy with a duffel bag 
And the guy's like, oh, Bishop Tutuola. And Finn's like, hey. And then leads him over to where Munch is and introduces this gentleman as Ross Campo. As soon as I saw him, I thought, this guy is a piece of shit. You know, like, like, and I think you should leave piece of shit. He's wearing, like, a silk shirt under a, like, kind of cropped bomber jacket. And he's got his ears pierced. And then one of those, like, very of the times, like, he's got, like, a chin strap that goes into, like, a beard mustache circle thing. Yes. So there you go. And a Caesar cut. They tell Ross that they got his business card from the boyfriend of the woman found in the park. And he's like, I've got nothing to say to you. And they like bring up the head wound and he's like, he's very defensive. He's mm. like, you've never tuned up anyone on the job. And <laughs> Munch is, is not mad that he tuned up someone. <laughs> he's mad that he like wasn't on the job when he did it. Yeah. He's like, but you weren't on the job. I'm like, wait, you shouldn't be tuning people up. You can't tune people up, even though we tune them up a lot. They tuned up fucking that guy, Ricky, you know, the fucking measuring man. Tuned him up real good. And then last of the Stabler's like, I've never done violence to anyone, you fucking liar. I have never done violence to anyone. Fucking liar. So they push him. They lightly threaten to call IAB. Um, and he, so he explains that someone called the security company he works for, says a diplomat is looking for his missing daughter. I'm like, I thought you were a cop. What I know. Happening? Thank no you. One, don't. Who? Shh. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Whatever. I know they don't pay cops very well, so maybe it's like a second job thing, but it doesn't make sense. I don't think you're allowed to do that if you're a cop, like take other jobs where you could be copping because then you might abuse your force or whatever. Yes. I don't know. Um, but anyway, he finds Tarzi. Um, he says he doesn't know Nafisa, but her picture is right behind him because he apparently hadn't learned how to lie yet. <laughs> so he like beat him. David was like, yeah, you can kill me because I'll never fucking tell. Because he's, he's a cool guy. Yeah, he's a Even down. He might, wait, unless he's a, we might be kind of a rape. Who cares? Anyway, Ross then later sat on the apartment for a couple days waiting to see if she would come back. And he never saw her. Which is kind of confusing for the timeline. Did I know. Did show up after the argument? I know. I, like, again, I, I wrote that too. And then I was like, if she brings it up, I'll say. Because of the, we're doing that thing again where... They are doing that with the timeline, and we're starting to notice because we take notes, and then we're like, huh? Uh, Finn and Munch walk away, and the guy just looks kind of shamed. He's sort of like, shame. It was, again, I'm like, but why? Why are you shamed now? Dun dun. We're at the bullpen late at night. Finn tells them that the labs had the fingerprints found on the rocks because, remember, Nafisa was stoned. (laughs) Again, I wrote (laughs) postmortem. She's not dead, Paige. Uh, Well. Didn't they? So they didn't belong to Diutarzi, and so now they're all like, "Hmm, who could it be?" Uh, and so then one of them, I think it was Stabler, remembers that the Emirs have a 21-year-old son named Jaleel, and they decide to go check him out. There's all this chit chat about what kind of immunity status Saleh might have because he's a diplomat. But then when Alex learns that Jaleel turned 21, she's like, "He doesn't have any, so he's safe to go after." Um, meanwhile, while this happens, Olivia gets a call and she gets off the phone. Nafisa has died. Turning this into a murder investigation. Thank God for my notes because. I know. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, now what is she dead. dying? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I don't mean thank God she died, guys. I just meant like I literally have thought she was dead this entire time. <laughs> 
Dun, dun, dun. A mere apartment building. The doorman tells Benson and Sable that Nafisa was at the building on Tuesday night around 7 p.m. So that's the night that she died. And he says he didn't see her leave because he left at 11. So he's like, talk to the other guard. And they do, but we never see it. So then he says that Jaleel showed up around, at the building around 8. And later Jaleel called down to the doorman and demanded to use the building's large cart. I, I don't know what that is if, as, a, as a person. Oh, okay. I was like, oh. That must be a New York thing. Paige can explain it to me. Well, they might. It might be in these really rich buildings. They have like, because there are like dollies. But to my knowledge, we're not allowed to like use them. <laughs> like if I were to call mine and be like, give me the large dolly. They'd be like, no. But so he ended up taking the car upstairs to the apartment. And then shortly after down to the garage. And it was, we. they said they didn't see him do it. But they were like, we assumed he loaded something into the car. Dun dun. Inside the apartment. Uh, Saleh is cracking me the fuck up. I, I, he is, he is pissed. Pissed, screaming in Olivia's face, screaming. And he's like shorter than her. So he's just like, I told you to leave us alone. <laughs> he's apparently from the rich person school of being investigated because he was like, I, I sequestered myself in there. Right. Like, uh, guys, this isn't a real thing. And he's like, I watched all the other episodes. You didn't bother the people when they were sequestered. Right. We made the they phone call. We're in seclusion. We're in seclusion. We're in seclusion. We made the phone. Well, we haven't made the phone calls to complain yet, but the phone calls to complain are coming. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he's interfacing. Leave us alone. <laughs> and uh, I started. I think it's because he's older, too. And I just, like, love when old people are yelling because it's so funny. It's like, you're all mad and little and old. He's also normally like a bit more of a comedic actor so i'm used to him being funny right and he's just like screaming so benson's like sir your daughter died and you don't even care and i just love that she sirred him (laughs) and stabler adds that they spoke to the doorman and both confirmed that no one saw nafisa leave last tuesday night but they did see jaleel with the cart and wheel the cart something down to the garage Olivia's talking to Soleil and she goes, did you watch him while he stuck the knife in your in her chest? And then Soleil yells at her, she was a whore like you. Got her. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> he points at her too. He, like, he points, points right in her fucking face. He's like, you're a whore. This is too much for Aziza who comes out of nowhere and shouts that Nafisa was his daughter. She's ready to spill the tea. She's like, yeah, Jaleel's on his way to Afghanistan. And Soleil's like, well, too bad. My son's protected by the Vienna Convention. And Stabler's like, yes, again, idiot. He's 21 now. He can drink and get arrested internationally. I know. I was surprised when Aziza did that. I was like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't. Don't do that. I know. Fuck up. Done, done. We are on the plane that's supposed to go to Afghanistan. It hasn't left yet. Thank God. Bunch arrive, that's Finn and Munch, I wrote in my notes, and they see Jaleel. And before they could say literally anything to him, like they walk up to him and they go, Jaleel Amir. And then he stands up with this crazed, deranged grin on his face. And he goes, I'm proud I killed her. She deserved to die. Can you imagine being a passenger on that plane? Like you're in first class, sipping your beautiful mimosa or mimosa. whatever. Yeah, and you're kind of like it's nine, it's two thousand, so you don't have any of your devices. Maybe you have a Walkman. You're just like you know, and then this man stands up and is like, "I'm glad I killed her. She deserved to die." <gasps> I would be. Oh wait, it was back in the early aughts. I was gonna say I'd be on Twitter. Like, yes, what happened? I know. We're like, I'd be recording it and posting it. It's like your camcorder. <laughs> 
So Munch sounds mad, and I think it's because he didn't get to do his Miranda, so he knows that it's going to be problems later. He goes, does this amuse you? And then he angrily re reads the Mirandas to him. So then Jaleel is like, you can't arrest me. My father will have me on the next plane. And he's another one. He's a mature looking 21. So he looks like a grown ass man. And it's just weird. He looks 40. He looks 40. He 30. Oh, okay. The actor himself is 30 at this time. It looks ridiculous to see like literally an adult man be like, my dad won't like this. I was like, oh, you do not look 21. He looks very old. Dun dun. So Cabot and Craigit are chatting in the hallway, but then as they enter what I think is Craigan's office, there's some <laughs> smarmy motherfucker waiting for them. And he's like, did your detectives harass an attache? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. But basically, this man is pissed that they went to talk to Soleil, even though they, they have harassed people. They were not harassing him. No. They literally just went in. They're like, hey, did you kill her? And he's like, don't you come in here and You're talk a whore. to me. You're a whore. Blah, 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 blah. I know. I would have been like, no, but he called one of my detectives a whore. So you can fuck right off. Right? Like, it's okay to just, like, call someone a whore and point in their face for no reason. No. So Cabot's pissed that this guy's here, and she's like, uh, our case against Jaleel's really solid because we finally, after going down many wrong avenues, have the right person, and it's out of your hands. I still don't know who this man is. No clue. he makes some threats and he leaves. Well, they reference that because he said that the confession is not admissible because Jaleel wasn't Mirandized before he started running his mouth, and Craig and Alex are all excited, and they, well, they're excited, and they go, nope, actually, it was an excited utterance. And I was like, they what? say that 30 times. They're so like, many it's times. It's an excited utterance. By the way, it's an excited utterance. I'm like, I get it. And it's admissible in court. So then random, like, higher up guys basically like, whatever. You guys suck. And he just leaves. It's like, mm. Like, pushes one of Cragen's, like, vases off of his <laughs> desk. And like, bye. And he's got, like, one of those cups from the 90s. I call them the Fuck Jerry cups now, even though Fuck Jerry was after. But And I'm like, what are you doing? Where did you get that cup? It seems so out of place. You're just drinking from a cup in another man's office? What is this? Get out. So now we're in Judge Ridenauer's chambers. Cabot is there with Jaleel's attorney, DA Post. And I will only name him because I think he's kind of hilarious later in court. Ridenauer says that he agrees that Jaleel's confession is admissible because of the excited utterance. And Post is like, okay, well, in that case, we're pleading insanity. It was literally, he's like, well, then we're pleading insanity. Cabot was like, damn it. Cabot literally mumbles, yeah, right. And Post, <laughs> Post says he was proud of what he did. Does that sound sane to you? Which this begins his defense. I struggled with it because I'm like, yes, but also no. Like the entire time. It was like a pretty good defense because I'm like, I guess. Yeah, no, because it's like true. But Alex is like, no fucking way. But then Ridenhauer tells her that he can't just ignore this plea because then it could be reversed on appeal. So he orders that Jaleel be examined by a psychiatrist. And I wrote that I like that Ridenhauer is one of those judges where he's like, I agree with you. But I got to go by the book. Yeah, I think he was one of the judges during the episode uh, with the when they were like trying to beat the clock on those rape charges. Yeah. And they were like, hey, we want to charge this DNA. And he was like, oh, guys, I, I literally can't. Yeah, no, like, that you was can him. try it. I want you to. But like, no. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But I want this so badly for you. <laughs> dun dun. This scene annoyed me. Skoda's here. Maybe that's why I'm annoyed. Mm. I liked Skoda, and now I don't like him. I 
Not based on this episode. I think he's just insists upon himself. Yeah. He's so fucking smug. You know what? Actually, he's smug, and I'm going to bring up why later. Uh, this whole scene is basically Jaleel tries to, like, tell him that it was okay he killed his sister because of what is in the Quran. And Scott is like, that's actually not in the Quran. And by the way, did you see something super traumatic? Do you have nightmares? He's like, I do have nightmares because I saw my granddad kill my aunt. And they're like, well, that's bad, but that's uh, scene. He's, like, not alarmed by it at all. It's so funny because no. literally, <laughs> he literally says, he goes, the nightmares of him stabbing her. And Scotus like, uh. <laughs> he's like, oh, but, like, I are the nightmares about your sister? And he's like, no, I've always had the nightmares about my aunt being stabbed. And he's like, uh, when did that happen? <sighs> well, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Like, oh dear. I know. I, w- I wrote in my notes, Scoda seems only a little surprised, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I was like, that's horrific. Scoda's like, oh well. Yeah, like, because he said that um, his grandfather killed his aunt, and his dad made him watch when he was eight years old, and Scoda's like, he was eight. That sounds pretty bad. I guess I understand why you have nightmares. Cut to Cabot's office. Skoda tells Cabot about the story. So apparently the story was that Jaleel's aunt had an extramarital affair. And that's why her family had to like murder her to like get the shame out of there. Cleanse them of their shame by committing a more shame. And yeah. And Skoda's like, well, he's just following the rules he was taught. And Cabot's like, well, he's using Holy Scripture to justify murder. And Skoda's like, well, he does know that what he did was wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What are you saying then? It's so interesting because this is the entire, as we go into court, and I feel I'm just giving us a little grace and also prefacing, I think we're going to have a hard time with this court scene because it is just basically them being like, is he crazy? Because he did this really crazy thing? Kinda. But we also think that he knew it was wrong. So Cabot then goes, I'm really worried a jury's going to be as confused as you are. And he goes, you know, you're going to have to get the jury to see past that confusion. And she makes this face like, I think every woman has had a moment where a man <laughs> has told you how to do your job and you're just like, like she does this smile and then her eyes go big like, uh-huh, yep, I know. Because it's such a, when you said it out loud to me again, I realized how annoying that is. Get them to see past the confusion. That's like when your boss gives you feedback and they're like, this isn't clear. And you're like, well, how do you suggest I make it more clear? You know, just because I thought this was pretty clear. And they're like, more clear. More clear. More clear. Cabot's like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really afraid these jurors are going to be confused. And he's like, you're going to have to make them not confused. And she's like, yeah. You get up there and you make sure that doesn't happen. Thanks. Dun dun. Good. Um, so Cabot is cross-examining Munch, who recounts what happened when he and Finn found Jaleel on the plane. Cabot asks Munch if Jaleel seemed like he knew who they were when they walked on the plane. And Munch says that, yes, Jaleel was actually smiling. And then he, like, had his excited utterance and told him that he killed his sister. So Cabot sits and Post stands. And then he asks Munch if Jaleel seemed remorseful during his excited utterance. Munch says that, on the contrary, he seemed proud. And Post says, so you just said that he seemed happy to see you. And Munch is like, uh, I said he smiled. (laughs) And Post goes, is that something ace? sane person would do cabots objects and says that munch isn't a psychiatrist uh so post asks munch um how many suspects he's ever seen like actually smile when they get arrested and munch pauses and goes one bullshit that's not even true i know honestly i bet if we went through a season one we would see those motherfuckers are so smug <laughs> they 
smile all the time. Ray Gunther was smiling when he got arrested. Yes, I was thinking about that. The crazy guy who killed his little girlfriend, Sarah, the reporter, was like ear to ear smiling when they arrested him. He was like, you're here because I killed that lady, right? Yes. So yeah. annoying and it ruined the trial briefly. I mean, not really, but yeah. So Skoda gets up there next and Jaleel, he says that Jaleel so showed signs of trauma, um, such as delusional thinking. And I'm like, well, that's not great for the, your, your, you're saying that he doesn't, he isn't delusional. Um, but he just go, he then goes on to say that he doesn't believe that Jaleel is impaired and he does understand that what he did was wrong. So then post the attorney asks him a hypothetical. And he says, if I hear an intruder in my house and I get my gun and kill the person, I know killing is morally wrong, but I did what I had to do to protect my family and my house. How is that different than what the defendant did? And I'm like, it's 1000% different. <laughs> that's what Sk- Skoda's like. That's not really a fair comparison. Cabot <laughs> checks and says that this isn't a self-defense trial and Ridenhauer allows it. Um, because it goes to what Jaleel's state of mind was at the time. So anyway, J- Scott is like, Jaleel didn't feel threatened by his sister. And Post argues, he's like, that basically Jaleel believed that Nafisa's actions threatened the- his life and the life of his future children. And he goes, don't you think that makes sense? And Scott is like, it's possible, but I can't be sure what he was thinking. And then Post goes, exactly, and walks away. <laughs> Post was 100% convinced he was going to win this one. You're pointing out. It's like they're both making good points because obviously people who kill people are not well. But at the same time, it's like, but he also knew what he was doing was wrong, clearly. Anyway, dun dun. So now it's Professor Husseini. It goes the same way. He's like, in the Quran, it says it's wrong. And then Post goes, but the society says it's right. And then Husseini's like, yes, but... Most people know that it's still wrong. (laughs) Post is like, right, but not all people, right? (laughs) Literally. He's like, but it's reasonable reasonable believe that if he thought that he had to do this because society said do it, that he would do it and it would happen. And you're saying he's he's like, yes, but in general, people know it's wrong to kill. Poor Sadie was like, this sucks. You know what's weird, though? Uh, Deud does not go to... We never see Deud again. Nope, done. He was, like, in love with her. Don't you think he would go to the trial? I agree. Like, why wouldn't he be... I mean, unless he was, like, afraid of... Um, maybe he was afraid of, like, Salil's connections to the government, the nondescript government. So now we got Jaleel up there. He says that he did what he had to do in order to restore his family's honor. And that as a man, this was a thousand percent necessary. Uh, And then Post says, would you change anything about, you know, murdering your sister? And he says the only thing he would change is what Nafisa did. Cabot gets up there and Jaleel winds up revealing that he removed Nafisa's clothes and stoned her in order to shame her in the same way that she would have been shamed back in Afghanistan, I guess. And then Alex goes, so you're proud of what you did? And Jaleel says, yes. And then she goes, so why'd you run away? <laughs> I loved it. She just dunks on him so hard here. She's like, Perfect. I thought you were a big man. She's like, I-, I didn't run away. She's like, weren't you arrested running away on a plane like a big, stupid, weak, stupid, stupid baby boy? And he's like, I'm not a baby. I'm a big boy. She legit, when he says, I did not, I am not scared. She goes, you were on a plane. <laughs> you were running she away. 
she is just fucking reading him the riot act. She's like, look, you're you're looking at your dad right now. You're looking at daddy to save you. And finally, Post is like, can you please stop harassing my client? She's like, I'm done. Big baby boy. It was so shameful. But yeah, she goes, you were afraid of going to an American in jail because you knew what you did was wrong, which is an excellent point that I didn't even think about. Well, that's why she's the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Not us. We're just detectives Porter and Agrala in the corner wrestling over a stick of gum. <laughs> Why are we wrestling? I don't know. I would never wrestle you, Brittany. We've been spending too much time with Stabler and Mush. <laughs> true. We're like hitting each other now. We're like, meh. Saleh is very, they flash to his face and he's just pissed. Like he's not even like, he's just mad. Oh, he's so mad. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. We're in pucker time's office. <laughs> So Cabot, even though she just fucking, I thought, did a great job proving Jaleel's guilty as fuck, is concerned the jury's buying Jaleel's act. And Munch is like, you know what? When we arrested him, he was dressed completely westernized. He calls it internet casual. And then on rewatch, I like looked at his outfit and it's shitty and not that much different than what he's wearing in the court. Besides in the court, he has prayer beads and he's wearing a cap. Yeah. That's like really the only difference. They're like trying to act like it's a huge change. Not really. I know. I forgot to mention that because it is like their thing. They're trying to be like, oh, look at how devoted he is to. Which I like how they repeatedly say that in the Quran, it has nothing to like the, what they did has nothing to do with like the Quran. And he's like just devoted to religion over here. So Cabot is afraid that the jury believes that he's quote-unquote culturally programmed to kill and thus he'll get his insanity verdict. And Cragen's like, and we're just plain out of people to say otherwise. <sighs> Except now here comes Olivia and she's like, what if we get Mrs. Amir to talk? And everyone's like, um, Jesus Christ, Olivia, she could get killed if she did that. And she's like, but, but, but what if she did? Finn loses it. He literally just like, he gets so nervous. And she's like... <laughs> If she testifies, she's basically entering a death sentence. And Olivia literally ignores him. Like, she looks at him. She's like, uh-huh. She's like, who, who invited this new guy? You guys always go for my plans. And she goes, Aziza wants to avenge her daughter's death, which she never fucking said that. And Olivia's going based off of the fact that at one point Aziza went, she's your daughter, and, like, told them where um, Jaleel was. Jaleel was, yeah. Yeah, so she's like, I bet if we reach out to her, she'll defy him again. Oh, my God. So then Finn is dying inside. He goes, we cannot ask her to do that unless we're ready to protect her. And then Cragen's kind of like, yeah, yeah, 24-7. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we'll totally do that. Um, Don't cross diplomatic lines. He's like, forget about protecting her. Make sure I'm not getting angry phone calls. I am watching the scene and I am so nauseous. I'm like, this. do you know why? Because I have PTSD and it's giving, it was giving Gina Silver. This was Gina Silver round two. Oh, I was like, this is a little worse. Because that <laughs> time they were like, yeah, we'll protect you. Here they're just like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, am I going to get calls from the mayor? The fact that literally one human in that room was like, oh, my God. The new guy. Yeah. The new guy. He's been here two days. And he's like, guys, um, I don't know if you've been around, but. He seems really dangerous, and based on everything we know about the uh, dynamics of this family, he's going to kill her. Should we be concerned? And they're like, yeah, um, we need to get Jaleel. Dun-dun. Uh, we go to the Amir's apartment. 
I don't know where Saleh is at this point. Apparently not there. How did they get him yeah, out of the house? They shouldn't be able to talk to her without him there. Right. So it's weird. They're kind of like, conveniently, he stepped out. Uh, so Aziza said that she's already lost one child, doesn't want to lose another. So she's conflicted about testifying against Jaleel. And then Benson goes, but Nafisa hasn't lost her honor. Have you lost yours? I was like, she's talking about lives, not honor. Honor. What the fuck? And also, technically, according to them, she did lose her honor. So Yeah. <laughs> so she's kind of like, well, no, she did. Benson, Stabler, and Finn all kind of recite back to her what they think. This is a scene where they tell us what most likely happened. Um, so they say to her that Saleh promised Nasifa to a Taliban, per Olivia. And when he found out that she was seeing another man and thusly refused to go through with that marriage, he became enraged that she brought dishonor to the family. So Saleh had Jaleel kill Nafisa to restore the honor. And the sad thing is, she probably came running to them after the fight, all upset, and w- just wanted to be comforted by her family. Now, to be fair, should she have maybe seen what was coming? Ooh, I-, I was going to say, oh. uh, if you're afraid of your dad to the point where you had to go missing in the first place, why would you think coming back? Yeah, um- there's a lot that's questionable here. I'm starting to understand why Soleil felt like he had to like lay the hammer down. He goes, all these people don't seem to understand my gangster. All these people are like, you're not going to really do it, Soleil. He's like, no, you're right. I'm going to make my son do it anyway. <laughs> gotcha. So Finn says that they can offer Aziz a protection. And she says that she doesn't want protection. She just wants her daughter. So do you think they took that seriously? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Because, uh. Of what happens. <laughs> so done, done. And I also feel like they threw that in there so we wouldn't blame them. But I do. I do. And Don't I also worry. kind of. I blame them. The delivery was also that which I would have thought it was just for dramatic effect. Like I would have like Detective Page would have been like, so we're going to get her protection, right? Like she was just saying that to be dramatic. Like, oh, I don't want protection. I just want my daughter. And they're like, no, she doesn't want protection. She just said it. And I'm like, okay, no, but um, she said it. We we got it. We got it on uh on tape recorder. So if anything happens to her, we're fine. I'm like, but we don't want anything to happen to her, right? Like we're gonna protect her. They're like, yeah, 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 twenty four seven, yeah, pucker time. Remember when we said to Gina it might take a while for cops to show up? We weren't kidding. We weren't trying to bully her. It really does take us a long time to show up. So it's just like not our fault. It like takes them along. It's like they cross it off their to-do list. They're like witness protection. Done. Don't have to. Witness said, don't want that. Just want dead daughter, daughter back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> witness declined protection. Only wants dead daughter back. Reasonable request. Done. Done. So at the trial, Aziza is testifying and... Her robe is now down so that we can see her entire face. Symbolic. I don't know. It's definitely symbolic. I was like, is she allowed to do that? They probably would have in real life been like, we can't hear you because of that. Yeah. So she explains that Nafisa came home to be with them. Soleil then asked her if she was still a virgin. And instead of fucking lying like she should have. Everyone should have. He finds out that she is not any hitzer. She falls, and then Jaleel actually like runs over to try to help her up. And Soleil's like, let her lie there like she lies with her American boyfriend. He's not even American. I know. I was like, you don't even know. So Soleil goes and gets a knife and then gives it to Jaleel and is like, you need to kill her for your honor and to prove your manhood. And then Jaleel stabs her, and then the two of them take her away, and Aziza never sees her again. 
I felt kind of bad after. I know. I was like, oh, like, because it said Jaleel was, like, begging him not to make him do it, which is so, like, fucked up because, of course, he, like, had to watch. He was forced to watch his aunt be murdered and then to be forced to kill his sister. And it sounds like he really didn't want to. So it's possible that his reaction and being like, I'm happy I did it was kind of more like a coping mechanism, you know, like. Yeah. Like convincing himself like, no, no, I had to do that because it was for the best, you know, which kind of because I remember I, I was like, he does seem fucking crazy. Not that I don't want him to go to jail, but now I feel kind of I'm like, oh, so the jury reads the verdict uh, guilty of second degree murder. Jalil turns around to look at his parents, but they are mysteriously absent from the galley this time. Oh, God. Oh, weird. That's so weird. No, I have to poo. So okay. Like, Cabot kind of watches this and kind of clocks that the Amirs aren't there, but she kind of shrugs like, oh, well. So then Cabot calls Craig in, and she's like, ah, oh, great news. We got a guilty verdict. And, she, and then she's like about to hang up. She's like, oh, one more thing. It's probably not important at all. Don't worry about it. This is totally casual. I'm not worried at all. A little weird. Not totally weird. But yeah, the Amirs didn't show up, and they didn't miss a day of the trial. So it's a little weird. They wrote, come the fuck on. So, dun dun. Deja vu. Benson and Stabler are just speeding out of the car they drove up in, um, running up to the doorman, and they ask where the Vermeers are. So the doorman tells them that Soleil left the night before in a limo with a lot of baggage. Looked like it was for good. But Aziza wasn't with him and hasn't left the building yet today. So Benson goes, okay, we need the keys right now. Oh, where was this urgency earlier? So, de- yeah, I said deja vu again as they break into the apartment and start looking around for Aziza. They enter the bedroom and they find Aziza on the bed with her throat cut covered in blood. Elliot and Olivia then look at each other. Executive producer Dick Wolf. <sighs> what a depressing episode. Um, I just, do they learn nothing from the Gina Silver days? On repeat, several, the professor, the other professor, her friend, random people throughout the episode have all confirmed that this man is dangerous, essentially. And I'm pretty sure what he did was accessory before the fact or what because i mean they call someone an accessory after the fact he was an accessory before the fact clearly um he mansoned it basically you know because why did they not arrest him right after aziza's testimony that is such a good point i didn't even that escaped me you're right no he basically mansoned it and it it, he coordinated a murder like why wasn't he arrested and he helped him dispose of her according to aziza so I guess honor killings obviously can't be prosecuted in America, you know, like, but it's like, why after we heard the story about him helping his dad basically kill his sister all those years ago, it feels like several balls were dropped, you know, like each one of them had a ball to carry and only Finn held on to his ball. He was like, I've got the ball. Everybody else is like, can we please protect her? And they're like, shut up, Finn. Shut up, new guy. Yeah. Who's this guy again? He keeps talking to me. That's like, like Olivia literally looked at him when he said that and then kind of like turned back around like, right, so we could force the wife to testify. It's like, I know your name is earlier in the credits, but can we listen to this man for a hot minute? Now, I do try to comfort myself in this fictional story 
by the fact that I think he'll be in huge fucking trouble once he gets back to Afghanistan because his daughter never married that um, government person's son. In my my head canon is that he gets back there and is like, ooh, guys, sorry, I had to beat some heat in America. <laughs> and they're like, well, we told you that you had to have your daughter marry this guy and now she's dead, so I'm going to fucking kill you. And he's like, oh, no. They did say multiple times it would be very dangerous for their family to go back to the country. I, I hope he doesn't. I mean, not, well, I do hope, but like, it'd be weird if he went back. So I'm assuming he's going to go to like another, maybe Canada or something or like Belgium or whatever. Oh, maybe. Because, yeah, he can't really go back. You're right. And then he just killed, like, he's got to leave America. He killed somebody, two people. Yeah. So this, ugh, this was one of the worst, like, endings in a while where I was just like, Bummer. Well, because it was also annoying because they did it again. They gene so so. Brittany and I are gonna give this. This is now a new award we're making called the Silver Award, and that's when you. That's when the squad does something to get someone killed directly. Yes, they almost silvered like Michael last episode. You're right. They almost silvered him. You're absolutely right because he was like, "Please don't make me tell you about this man who." Gavin's brand new to the show and she was ready to silver his ass last episode. She was like, I know you're supposed to be 16, but you look 80, so I don't care. I don't care what happens to you. We're behind you, Michael. Shut up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Well, not much more to say on this, you guys. Oh, sorry. Missed you there. Hi, everybody. We're back. Hi. Uh, but yeah, so that was episode two. We're, we're doing a good one. Oh, and then tell us what's next week. So next week, we will be covering Season 2, Episode 3, Closure, Part 2. Harper Anderson's Rapist is Back at It, according to the Hulu tagline. Dead ass, uh, guys. Harper Anderson's Rapist is Back at It Again. God. That little scoundrel. I'm excited that we get to see Harper Anderson the stoner again, because as you know, that episode... That episode brought us the beautiful phrase, Yeah, the pot makes me nervous. Uh, the pot makes me nervous. Hollered from across the bullpen. The pot makes me nervous, and now we have its pucker time, folks. Pucker time, folks. Season two, pucker up. No, I like that. Let's end there. Ooh. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Dear you. Later.